Welcome to another episode of In Bed with Neil Moody, with me, your host, Neil Moody. My guest today is model turned TV presenter, 26 year old Rosie Tapner. In 2011, at the age of 15, Rosie was discovered by Storm Model Management at the Birmingham Clothes Show Live, and within weeks became the face of Balenciaga's 2012 campaign shot by fashion royalty Stephen Mizell. Rosie hit the ground running with modelling and was suddenly the new British face of the moment, being tipped as the next Kate Moss and Cara Delevingne. Within a year, she had Vogue covers and was in Chloe, Burberry and Selfridges campaigns and walking all the major shows too. But then something happened. Rosie suddenly felt under immense pressure to perform, be a certain weight and look a certain way. She was seriously missing her normal everyday life back at home with her family, with her horses too, and so she very swiftly retracted out of the modelling industry. She took time off from modelling, signed up to uni, nipped in the bud what potentially could have turned into an eating disorder and went back to riding her horses. She had always had dreams of being a TV presenter and following a short burst back into modelling after uni, she worked her way into TV presenting, but within something that was also a huge passion for her, horse racing. So come along and meet Rosie. Here's her story. Hi, Rosie. How are you? I'm good, thank you, Neil. How are you? Yeah. Nice to see yeah. you. And you, you're in Cheltenham, aren't you, right now? I know. You've actually uh, you've caught me in bed in Cheltenham. It's very, very bad of me. Had a very busy day. Got two more busy days ahead. Just having a nice chilled out evening here. Lovely, lovely. I'm in London. So for anybody listening, we are recording this podcast by Zoom today because Rosie and I are in different places. Let's first start with you're born in London, but then you grew up in Chipperfield in Hertfordshire. Is that right? Yeah. Just tell me a little bit about growing up, you know, how, where were you born in London and then when did you move? Could you remember moving? Do you remember leaving? Yeah, so I was born in Chiswick. I grew up in Chiswick in London until I was about five. So actually, apart from home videos and pictures, I don't think I remember London from my own brain. I think I remember it because Mm. of seeing videos. And then we moved to the country in Hertfordshire uh, when I was five and I've grown up there. So that's sort of what I remember growing up. I'm a big country girl, as you know, growing up with horses, dogs, long walks, getting out in the country instead of, you know, sitting watching TV would be outside and, and, you know, adventure going around and trying to find some adventure somewhere. Um, so that's sort of my childhood was very much outside and riding and walking the dogs and, pretty heavenly actually that's quite idyllic actually it's very sort of yeah when I look back on it 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 really really was and I I count myself very very lucky with that I went to school in in Newbury a boarding school so I was away from home quite a lot and I think I was very different to most of my friends where the summer holidays and the long holidays for them was very much Uh, going shopping and seeing their friends and like going out and socializing whereas I loved my holidays for the fact that I could just be at home and only see animals (laughs) I didn't want to see people I'm such an animal lover so I I loved my childhood I was very very lucky so you enjoyed boarding school because some people don't do they they kind of struggle with it but you actually quite liked it I loved 
every second of boarding school I was I would give anything to go back and start again actually because I don't think I appreciated how much I enjoyed it until my last two years um, and we'll get on to this but because of modeling and everything those mm. last two years were so precious to me because it was my safe space to go back to mm. and it was almost like an area where no one else could get at me and if I didn't want to do a job or I was too tired or you know things were going wrong I could actually just say oh I've got an exam or you know mm. that was my safe space so I do often think it'd be so nice to go back again and start again and really appreciate from start to finish how wonderful school is and yeah. how easy life is when you're at school because the real world is a lot harder oh god you don't realize do you when you're at school that it's you always think no. oh, I can't wait to get out and then when you're out you're like oh my god I wish I was back in. <laughs> yeah it's funny isn't it yeah, how you want to swap it around structure again yeah tell me when I to eat tell me when to do these things I know exactly and you have a brother don't you yeah I actually have I have two brothers and a sister um, so four of us I'm yeah I am one of four so we've got older brother Freddie then my sister Anna and then me and then my younger brother Arthur so there are four of us uh, my sister recently got married very exciting yeah we're very I'd say we're a close-knit family but we're not we don't see each other all the time but when we do see each other it's always a good laugh and very very loud they were almost like the famous five, the four of you growing up. <laughs> yeah, almost, very close. <laughs> yeah, minus one, famous five, minus, minus one. Minus one, yeah. yeah. So you, were, you just mentioned about modelling, obviously you were studying as well. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you were educated at Downhouse School in Berkshire. Yes, I was indeed. And you graduated in 2014, but when were you discovered as a model? what was how did tell us about how that happened yeah so it was oh gosh it was just extraordinary is it funny I don't know if you ever do this Neil but I often look back at that life and sort of see it from a different person as if I'm mm. looking at it as a different human and a different whole different time but when I was just I was about to be 15 uh, mm. we went to the clothes show in Birmingham as a school and I kicked up a bit of a fuss about going because I hated fashion. I didn't want to go. I was like, I could be at home riding or walking the dogs or just mm. being with animals. Couldn't, you know, really don't want to be out for the clothes show. Um, but, but apparently I had to go because the entire school was going. <laughs> so there wasn't right. much of a choice. <laughs> so I ended up going and I wore dungarees, with sh short dungarees with my uh, tight, my riding boots and a stripy top underneath looked really not great I ended up getting scouted by five different agencies that day and I sort of thought nothing of it and then mum and I just sat down and went well maybe there's something there and why don't we just go into one of the agencies and see so we made an appointment to go and see a few and the first one on that list was Storm and we went in there and they were really interested in signing me so we just thought oh well you know, can't bother to come up to London again, so we'll just sign with Storm, um, <laughs> which is sort of how we did it. How did it feel, though, when they were coming up to you? Were you a bit like, did it feel strange? Was it like, especially yeah. as they, it happened again and again in the same day? Yeah, and, you know, it's a funny one because we, so as a school, you sort of split off into groups, and I was with two friends, and it's that sort of, you feel a bit awkward because you're like, are they coming up for me? Are they coming up for my friends? And... It's, it's quite daunting. It's quite anxious making as well, actually having people just come up to you and go, 
are you a model and and they're they're really lovely but it's there's also like a power play with it as well that mm. it's like I want you no I want you and and it did feel a bit odd but I was so oblivious to it all I had no idea what was going on I think I look back at it now and go gosh that was odd but yeah mm. at the time I remember feeling really nervous about it and you can spot people and you're like oh they're gonna come up because they're sort of looking at me funny I mean I don't know how someone crazy famous feels because that must be their everyday life of everyone just staring but no so so mum and I went and we signed with Storm two or three weeks later I was in New York shooting Balenciaga with a two-year-old exclusive wow (laughs) that must have been like mind-blowing because I mean did you with that one in San Luis, did you know what Balenciaga was at that point? No, I had no idea what it was. And the the worst part about it was my lovely agent, who I am still good friends with, and I know you know very well, Amma, she mm-hmm. took me to Paris for the day. So we literally went for about half an hour to go and meet with Nicolas Gasquet, who was the designer at the time. I had no idea. And to be honest with you, at that point, I didn't care, which sounds really awful, but I just didn't care. I walked in and there were girls fainting as they met him because they were so overexcited and fainting at the sight of Balenciaga bags. And Mm. I was going, I don't really know what I'm doing here. And this is a bit odd. And I walked up and down and I said hello and I smiled and and I walked out. And then on the Eurostar home, Amma suddenly screamed and started crying. And I was like, oh God, what's gone wrong? And she was like, you've just been offered a two year world exclusive with Balenciaga. And to me that, but again, it was, okay, but what does that mean? And she was in yeah. floods of tears. It was hilarious. It was like something amazing had just happened for me, but she was the one that was... <laughs> mm. was she like, was the emotional what does one. <laughs> yeah. What does this mean? And then, and, you know, I had, to, I had so many awkward moments. Another agent came to my school to take a video of me walking to send to Balenciaga originally. Um, and it was in a courtyard and everyone was coming back from sports. So everyone was watching me walk up and down in a little tank top and leggings in heels. Mm. Oh, that was another moment. But, you know, and then I then I was shipped off to New York and and put on the set for the first time. And no one prepares you for that. Amma, amazingly, you know, she really prepped me and she came with me. But no one can, it's such a hard one to explain because it was a three or four day shoot and I wasn't used the entire first day because I wasn't on the schedule, but my hair had to be cut and it was cut from being very, very long to very short with a fringe and I was a bit baffled by that. And then I wasn't used, so in my head I was going, well, they don't like me. You know, I'm I'm clearly not good enough. And, And actually just on the schedule, I was the next day. So I remember going back to Amber in the evening, she took me out for supper and I said, I wasn't used for, for you know, 13 hours. I mm. sat there worrying. She went, well, that, you know, that's what it is. Sometimes you're not used in the day, but, you mm. know, you'll be used tomorrow. And, I, and then I was, but it was an extraordinary experience going from... Well, like fish out of water, really, wasn't it? Like a complete fish out of water experience and sort of like you're thrusted into this other world that, yeah, like you say, I you didn't, didn't really know anything even, about. Mm. No, like, I remember they're going, oh, you're shooting with Stephen Mizell. And I went, well, who's that? Yeah. You know, and I just remember Amma's face the whole time. She was just like, oh, you really need to just <laughs> kind of learn these things. And just, mm. you know, all these fabulous people and yourself as well, Neil. And I just had no clue what I was getting into, which, do you know what, in a way, I think was best. 
I think if you're if you know everything I think now with presenting like if I know it's a big day it's almost worse because mm. I put that pressure on myself whereas with Balenciaga I was just going well I, I don't know what the brand is and and I, I don't know the photographer so I'll just yeah. do what I can do and, uh, yeah. and it went really well but yeah that, and then I realized who Stephen was <laughs> And I was like, okay. But you, but you know what's interesting? I find, like, to the to the general public, most people don't know who Stephen Moisel is. Do you know what I mean? Obviously, he's a legend within the fashion industry, which, of course, you know now. But, you know, I think when you step out of our industry, people are a bit like, who? You know? Yeah. I mean, I was laughing with a friend of mine the other day. We were saying how, you know, when somebody mentions, you know, if somebody's taking a picture and be, oh, look at you. And they always go, look at you trying to be David Bailey, who, you know, has been around since God knows when. And it's funny how that's still the reference point for people as yeah, a fashion yeah. photographer. In our world or in the modelling world, in the fashion world, you know, Stephen Mizell is the God. But yeah, it's interesting that, you know, that even Amma Blesser was like, oh, you don't know who he is? It's kind of, you know, because it's in the industry, everybody knows who he is. But it must have been quite weird for you in a way, because like you say, you're plucked out of the country, flown to New York, and then suddenly you're on this set, they're cutting your hair off. How did you feel about cutting your hair off? I always wonder what that must have been like. That was hard. So I knew about the fringe going in, so I sort of had prepped myself for having a fringe. I hate having a fringe and everyone loves a fringe on me and I hate it because mm. it's claustrophobic and I sweat a lot anyway and it's just I can't deal with a fringe but I knew the fringe and sort of my mantra in life is when you're on set when you are working no matter whether it's in an office or on a set or wherever you're working you put a smile on your face and you get on with it in the day because as a model you're when you're on set you're in front of the camera you're sort of the forefront of of the day so if you start lagging and start getting grumpy and start getting upset everyone does the same but if mm. you're the one that even after 18 hours of shooting is going come on guys we can do it everyone brings themselves up so mm. and my hair was quite it was guido powder and sandy his lovely assistant and they razored it so it was thinned out and uneven on purpose for the shoot and i remember looking in the mirror going i look <laughs> on set I was going oh I love it this is amazing I love this new look and then I got back and I you know I opened the door to Amma and I was like what have they done yeah but for the shoot it was amazing but then you go back to school and everyone's going what what's just happened to you and <laughs> I think <Yeah>. that was hard <laughs> like mm. what's happened to your hair and that was hard actually because I never really told anyone at school how big the things were that I was doing because I didn't want to be that person. So yeah. I think a lot of people may have looked at that and gone, well, why did you cut your hair just for a, like a shoot? Mm. Whereas I don't think they understood that that shoot was a, a reasonably big deal because I just, and until my best friends asked me, I remember I always, you know, people go, how was your day? How was your day? What did you do? And I go, oh, it's a good day. It was a good day. And then my best friends would come in and go, go on then, who did you meet? Who did you work with? You know, and I go, oh, okay, I can tell you everything now. But I didn't want to be that person. I just wanted to get back to school and be schoolgirl. Be Rosie with her friends at school, really. Yeah. 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 Because I was trying to remember the other day, knowing that we were doing this was when I first met you, which I think was at Burberry, wasn't it? Yeah. How old were you then? Probably still 15, 16? Yeah, 15, nearly 16. 
I remember them. We were being told Wendy and I, who was doing makeup, that we got you for our hair and makeup tests, but they were probably going to put you in the show, and you were this new big girl, and you'd done Balenciaga, and of course we were being in fashion. We were a bit like, oh my god, that's amazing. But I remember you sitting down in the seat and chatting to you and thinking, oh my god, this girl is so sweet, and what an like weird. I could tell straight away that you been plucked from not the middle of nowhere but you know the countryside and plonked into this world and it must be so weird because everybody's talking about you aren't they I mean and it was I remember reading about you and they were like she's the next Cara Delevingne you know you're the next you're this the next this the next that and it's so weird isn't it in a world where everybody's talking about you but you're kind of it's almost like you're removed from that situation yeah Um, you know I really struggled with that actually I think, and I wasn't, when I started, social media wasn't really a thing, thank God. Like it was when mm. I was in sixth form and sort of still going, but I'm quite pleased it wasn't in a way because I could only, the only thing to actually read about myself was if I went onto the internet and started reading it. But it's mm. really weird when people are saying that about you, but no one said it to your face. So yeah. people would, you know, write, oh, she's the new best thing on Daily Mail would write, oh, she's best friends with Cara and Jordan and everything. And I was going, am I? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. You're like these news things. to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, news to me. Yeah. I don't know that I'm the new big thing. No one's warned me about this. But I know probably at that. I remember that Burberry test. I remember it very well. And I think I probably had a GCSE book with me and doing my revision mm. at the same time as you were doing hair and makeup because I spent hours on a seat uh, when you like everyone was doing stuff with my with my revision with me trying to do my yeah. exams. <laughs> yeah. No, I remember, but I remember, you know, both Wendy and I were like, oh my God, she's such a lovely girl, it seemed. We could tell that you were very kind of like, you know, there with your eyes wide open a bit, like, what's going on? Then you walked the show and then we then went on to do other shoots and, I mean, and you ended up, you know, doing Vogue covers and things like that, which was kind of, again, in the in the grand scheme of the fashion industry, that's amazing. But how did that feel, like, you know, again, sort of, suddenly it being escalated from you know this sort of country life to suddenly going you're doing a Vogue cover today and you're going to be on the shelf of magazines on supposedly the biggest fashion magazine in the world yeah that was that was really strange do you know the best thing ever that I that could have come out of this was how my parents dealt with this with me and the Mm. family because it could have gone so badly wrong that I was the face of quite a lot at the time and I was covering mm. Vogue and everything and they could have got so overexcited that I got overexcited that I became arrogant about it and actually mm. what they did which was at the time I was like what are you doing why are you not you know cutting out these images and sticking them all over the walls but mm. they just went oh that's a good picture well done or I remember when I was on buses after doing selfages that was one of the weirdest moments was buses and I'll tell you a story in a minute of that but you know I think we drove past a bus in London on the way to the theatre and everyone was like, oh my God, look at Rosie's on the bus next to us. And mum just sort of looked at it and went, oh yeah, okay. Mm. And it just sort of, you know, they always let me know they were proud, but they never went so over the top that I found it weird. And do you know what I mean? Mm. I sort of just went, oh, okay, well, there's a picture. And I yeah. think when you've made that picture, I always say this to people, there was the most enormous billboard of me of Topshop uh, outside Harrods. There's a massive Mm. one. I think it's like 90 foot. It's crazy. And I was Mm. in a taxi and I didn't know it was there. And I drove past. I was like, oh, my God, that's me. That's enormous. That's ridiculous. Never seen anything Mm. like it. 
but because I was at the shoot and I made that picture and I have seen that picture on the shoot for some reason it's not weird seeing it blown up if mm. someone had taken a picture of me that I wasn't aware of and blown it up I would find that weird yeah but because I'd seen it a hundred times already it, it it didn't really compute to me that I was on a billboard Again, I think mm. I was just removed from it. I was like, okay, A-levels, GCSEs, riding, horses, dogs, be at home. But yeah, I, I don't think until sort of now I've ever sat back and gone, like, you were on the cover of Vogue. Mm. That, that's, I sort of always just went, I Did it almost feel like that was a different person, not you? Did it feel a bit like that? Yeah, because I was so aware to make sure that I didn't become that person because mm. I think you'll know, and a lot of people will know, I... I didn't love the fashion industry. I didn't love modeling. Like I loved it for what it's given me now and I'll never knock it. And there were days mm. which I, I mean, the Hagen dazs shoot that we did with Wendy, best day of my yeah. life, <laughs> eating yeah. ice cream on set all day yeah. long. But, you know, I never wanted to be a model. And so I was very aware not to turn into one. So I didn't mm. make that many model friends in the industry. I kept my friends who my friends were and mm. always have done you know I always wanted to do what I'm doing now which is a presenter so mm. I think I always try and try to remove myself from I always said to people my job is a model I am not a model mm. because I, yeah. I didn't want to have that's what I am you know because yeah. you are Neil Moody, but you are also, yeah. your job is a hairstylist you're not mm. otherwise people categorize you and I hated that I hated being yeah. categorized well, you get defined by your job, don't you? And you're like, I'm more than that. I'm, I'm a, yeah. I'm a, I'm a person with a personality and a, you know, and so many other strings to your bow, possibly, which people don't know about, you know. Yeah, and particularly modelling because everyone wants your face, and I was like, what about my brain? What about, yeah. you know, yeah. all the other parts of me? But it's just no, we want your face and your body, and that is it. <laughs> you know what? It's funny. I remember us going to the south of France doing a shoot for British Vogue. And you were on a horse for yeah. probably a whole day. And yeah. I think rem when I look back, I remember thinking that I think that's one of the happiest I've ever seen you. And I knew that you loved horse riding. But when we were actually on, you were on the horse and you were doing pictures and you're riding around on the horse, you could see you were totally in your element in that situation. And it was actually really nice to see, because I think at that point, I think, you'd mentioned to me that you weren't loving modeling as well but you were still doing it and still getting on with it and whatever but it was really nice to see you almost in your you know environment that you were the most comfortable in do you know what I mean that shoot was my favorite oh mm. that goes down in history apart from that great Dane nearly knocking me over about 20 oh, times that's yeah. That house. <laughs> but yeah. that yeah I loved being on that horse I felt so at home I just felt mm. like I I almost took over the shoot because I was like, oh, I'm on a horse now, leave me alone. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they're some of my favourite pictures. And actually that shoot, because it was with Boo George, I remember yeah. and it was my most favourite memories because Boo gave me some kind of rain. He said, what do you think we should do? Where do you think we should shoot? And I was going, oh my God, this is, mm. this is brilliant. And Bay was wonderful. And I remember mm. that shoot. That's very fond memories, that shoot. I have to say that was one of my most favourite trips where it never felt like work. And I didn't feel like I was modelling. I felt like I was having fun. So at what point, Rosie, did you then decide I need to stop 
where was what was the turning point for you when you just went I've had enough because I remember you quit for a little while didn't you and I realized obviously knowing you that you were having some issues about your weight and things like that so what was the point that made you go you know what I need to step back from this yeah it was I had a lot of issues with the industry with body image and things like that because you are told to lose weight a lot and I always say there are certain ways of doing that and I think and I won't name names but certain people in the industry told me in the world's worst way stripping me down into nothing and pinching any body fat and screaming in my face for one fun key example I have been very fortunate growing up and I I'm very aware of how lucky I've been that I come from a good background and I've got a great education and I was very fortunate that I didn't have to take every job if I didn't want to you know I'm very aware there are girls out there that have to take every tiny little job to make ends meet but I was still a school girl so I didn't have to and you know Neil it got to a point where I was traveling six days a week I did five countries in three days Uh, I wasn't eating and then I was binging I was never bulimic I never had an eating disorder but I think I was very close to one I think I had invented my whole own one and you know I wouldn't I'd get to a shoot I wouldn't eat until I saw the clothes and if the clothes were good then you know I'd be okay well you can eat now because you could definitely fit into those and then Mm. I'd be so starving by the end of the day that I'd absolutely wallop the food in the evening and then I'd get a call at midnight going you're going to Paris in the morning to shoot for, you know, X, Y, and Z. And I was going, oh, but I've eaten. It was just, it was too many years of battling with myself. Every time I ate anything, I felt guilty. Mm. I used to look in the mirror 24-7, lift my top up and go, oh, that's not a model's figure. You know, you need to take inches off there. And uh, someone actually said to me, it'd be much better if we could just saw your bones off because that would make you thinner. So... I've always been strong and fit and I didn't like it and I could do it for a bit and I you know I, when I was 15 I was so skinny without even trying but then you grow and yeah. it just got to a point where I was so unhappy I was so unhealthy and everyone wanted me for my face and I really hated that I wanted to physically damage my face so that no one wanted it anymore which Mm. is a really bad place to get to so I I moved agencies for a bit and I took a bit of time out and then I went to squad with Jamie who I adore and has always been lovely Mm. to me and I sort of put my foot down when I walked in and I said I'll come to this agency but no one's telling me to lose weight and no one's going to look me up and down and no one is you know and if if I need to lose weight we're going to do it in my way because Mm. if people told me to lose weight it would have the opposite effect I would go and eat and eat and eat yeah but if yeah. someone said oh you're looking good I'd be like oh great I'll just carry on then I'll carry on training and working out and eating well I wasn't healthy and I was so so unhappy like I can't even believe how unhappy I was now looking back because I am so happy now mm. I can't even get myself into that mindset that I was having panic attacks I was having anxiety attacks I was I mean, more that I probably won't say on here, but, you know, other things were going on. And Mm. I was just utterly miserable. I hit rock bottom and, Mm. you know, and the whole friends at school thing was tricky and people being nasty and lots of people being lovely. I've still got my greatest friends. But yeah, I just, I had to stop. 
I had to stop mm. for a bit. And then well, so, social media had kicked in by then as well, hadn't it? So there was a lot more pressure coming in from different angles as well, I think, with those kind of things, right? Yeah, and I think it's, do you know what? It's the small comments, and they still get me now, weirdly, that, you know, I went to the gym the other day and I went for a swim and, and some stranger just said to me, oh, you've got lovely big swimming shoulders. Like, oh, my mm. God, if you'd said that to me a few years ago, I would have got changed, gone home, cried, binged, yeah. you know, the whole lot. Mm. But I luckily am in a good space now that I just went, it's, you know, kind of rude mm. just to mention something about body image when you don't know me. But yeah, it's just, it's tough. But there are small comments always through the industry. And I'm sure it's changing now. But with me, because everyone wanted me to be the next Kate Moss, to be the next Cara, which mm. essentially I got to for a little bit. Um, but everyone was sort of doing stuff. Oh, you look better now. Because last week I thought you looked a bit fat or, you know. Mm you look like you've grown a bit or you'll look very healthy that was the worst one was you're looking mm. a bit healthy um and don't get me wrong there are lovely people in the industry like yourself who you know whenever I was on set with you I felt safe mm. and that's one of the things you always bring I always think you bring great fun absolute hilarity we're never on a set with you without laughing <laughs> and uh but there's a safety around mm. like people like you and Wendy you feel protected Mm, there are mm. some people in the industry who I worked with that I just felt very vulnerable around yeah um, so I just true. had to take time out and also just to go to uni and make friends and get drunk mm. and go out and have fun without worrying that the next day I might have to be in Paris yeah yeah so we'll just live a normal life of a girl who's you know what 17 18 at that point yeah which most people do but I think that's the thing with modeling a lot of people don't realize it always amazes me when people like, you know, when they're really young and they're like, I want to be a model, I want to be a model. I'm like, don't think people really understand what it entails if you want to be a successful model. This is female model at, a, at such a young age. You know, there's so much pressure involved in it. And whilst, like you said, I think things are a lot better than they used to be, you know, there's still that pressure of being a certain size and trying to stay that size. And, you know, unfortunately, some people, it taps into their mental health more than others. Depends on who you are individually. So makes such a difference. But I think one of the, one of the reasons why I wanted to interview you is because I think it was so brave and brilliant of you to step back and go, actually, you know, to a lot of other people, they'd be like, but it's, it's all going on. It's all brilliant. And you just went, yeah, but I don't feel brilliant. I don't feel great. And actually, I just want to step out of this, go back to my normal life and just remind yourself who you are as a person, as Rosie Tapner, you know what I mean? Rather than Rosie the model kind of thing. Yeah. And I remember even, like you said, when you joined the squad and Jamie called me and we did, we, we did you a bit of a makeover, you know, we bleached your oh hair. Oh my God, you dyed my hair. Dyed your hair, <laughs> blonde and everything. <laughs> the fringe went back in. Sorry, I know you hated them. But, you know, even with that, it's like you can only reinvent somebody so much. Yeah. The, the person's still there at the end of it. And I remember, you know, you started working again and we kept more. In, that was when we started to keep a bit more in touch, wasn't it? Because obviously I was aware of what you'd been through and I was very sort of keen to make sure that you were OK, I think. Yeah. You know, and you were like, I am enjoying myself more. But I think you were, it was obvious that it wasn't really your raison d'etre. It wasn't where you wanted to really be, which leads us into you sort of, again, 
not well you sort of stepped away again didn't you really in the end and said okay I want to be a presenter that's what I'm going to work towards I want to get onto that with you now because I think you know what's the story so far about you is great that you did take this step back and it's important for people to know that they can do that regardless of any job it doesn't have to be modeling it could be anything if you're not happy then yeah, we have choices yeah and I think people and at the time I didn't feel like I did because it was one job after the next job and you know I remember an agent would say to me okay you're going to Paris for 24 hours that's it so I'd take one pair of pants mm. and my teddy and that was it <laughs> and then yeah. I wouldn't be back for two weeks because then suddenly while I was in Paris then a New York job came through and then a Milan yeah. and then Paris and then Germany and then all these jobs so but like don't get me wrong I also had really good times in the industry this was just like the mental health side of things that went wrong yeah but like yeah. I remember getting back from the five countries in three days and there was a car to pick me up that was taking me back to school and then it took me to spring studios and I was like why are you taking me to spring studios they're like you've got another job and I was like no what yes. just told me so I had another job and I was like oh my god I haven't showered for four days mm. <laughs> but do you know I I will because I've you know been quite negative here now but you're you can always step out of something if you're not enjoying it I was given the world's best opportunities. I worked with the best people possible. And I'm so appreciative of that. And uh, I always look back on it and go, but if you hadn't done that, you wouldn't be where you are now. But mm. that wasn't me. And I was always fighting it. Cause I was like, I don't want to be a model. I want to be me. Mm. Mm. So I always say to people, no matter how successful you're being, no matter how much everyone's telling you, this is the best thing ever. And you should be so lucky. And you know, you should appreciate it. If it's not working for you, step back. Yeah. And you yeah. don't step back for very long. Just try it. Just step mm. back. And and it's hard and it's scary, but it's you've just got to be happy. That's the yeah. end of the day. And I was mm. lucky and I appreciate it, but I wasn't happy. Yeah. And so how did you get into presenting? How did that start? So I was at uni and I was phoned by Goodwood Races. Uh, horse races and they asked me to take part because of my platform mm. asked me to take part in the magnolia cup which is a charity horse race and as obviously i'd ridden all my life but never on a racehorse and i absolutely jumped at the idea and i actually <laughs> said yes i said yes and signed the contract before i told my agent because i thought right. if they say no i'll be gutted but if i mm. sign the contract they can't do much about it so mm. I did all that and then told told the agency and they were like, no, no, it's great. That's perfect. And did the race. I won't go into it because that's a long story. Did the race. Absolutely loved it. It was six months of hard work, hard training in the gym, lifting weights. I'd never felt so good in my life. I was the heaviest I'd been, but the smallest and toned. And I loved it. And then I just, you know, we go to all these events as a model. And I used to just tell everyone, I'm going to be a presenter. I didn't say I wanted to be. I said, I'm going to be a presenter one day. Mm. Um, You're putting it out to the universe. Oh, I put it out to the universe, 100%. I've pushed it. Mm. And then this got around to enough people that I did another charity horse race at Ascot a couple of months later. And the uh, uh, someone from Ascot, very high up, Juliet Slot, came up to me and said, now, Rosie, we know you love fashion. I wasn't going to tell her at the time that I wasn't that keen on it. But she <laughs> said, uh, said, we know you love fashion and we know you want to be a presenter. So we need a new fashion presenter at Royal Ascot this year. Will you do it? I went, yeah, of course I'll do it. Love it. Tried to be really cool about it. Went home and just screamed. I was so excited. Mm. 
Um, and then I thought, right, I don't want my presenting to career to go down the fashion route. Nothing against it. I just don't know about it. And I'm not fashionable, mm. you know, as a model, clothes get put on you. I didn't know anything about it. So I learned everything I could about racing possible. And I researched and researched and researched before each day. And I made sure that I could say a few racing things. And Juliet picked up on that and said, oh, you quite like the racing side of things. I said, yeah, yeah, I like the racing. So then she said, okay, why don't you be our main racing presenter? Oh, great. This is perfect. This is Ascot. And then I started doing Ascot TV. And then Goodwood got in touch and said, do you want to do Goodwood TV? And then it sort of just spiraled and spiraled. Um, and the lovely Ed Chamberlain from ITV, uh, he does ITV racing. Uh, he's now taken me on and sort of really teaching me and, and helping me and the jockey club are giving me opportunities and Chamberlain sports are giving me opportunities. So it's sort of, it's suddenly spiraling, which is very exciting, but also very scary, but yeah. I'm happy because it's all I've ever wanted to do. And actually I was given an opportunity this summer to do Sky Sports Racing. So it was my first time on actual TV live as well. So there are loads of internal stuff at the, in, at the meetings, but I'd never been on actual TV. And my dream since I was about four was to have my own mic that said either ITV, BBC or Sky, to have my <laughs> earpiece. It had to be one of the big three. Had to yeah. have my earpiece in and my own cameraman for the day and for me to be the main presenter and you know and I got it and I remember mm. I came home and my boyfriend just went you've just done it you've just done your dream I was like I just burst into tears and went if I never ever work ever again I, I honestly couldn't care less because I've done it and then I got two more days on Sky uh, which I wasn't meant to have so that was really lovely um and and yeah now it's just it's sort of going but it's a lot of hard work because I am still learning and I make mistakes every time so I'm still mm. learning for sure but I, I love it. I have a question for you though you said you wanted to be a presenter which was always a bit of a an aspiration for you did it did you want it to be in racing or was it you were just general about it it's just racing's happened a bit more sort of accidental in a way hasn't it? Yeah totally to be honest with you I wanted to be Helen Skelton, Claire Balding, Holly Willoughby, that sort of time. I wanted to be a general mm. presenter. Uh, I didn't really understand the fact that you sort of needed a speciality for anyone to actually take any notice of you. So I fell into racing and now I absolutely love it. And I'm hoping at some point I can sort of carve my career around sport in general as well as, you know, broaden it a little bit. I love the racing community and for some reason very kindly they they've sort of taken me in with open arms mm. and they're all teaching me and looking after me and and you know letting me interview them you know Frankie Dettori when I ask for an interview says yes and that's mm. you know that's a big deal for someone like that to go yeah you can have an interview because mm. I'm brand new but I yeah I, I ride out for a trainer still so I can make sure that I'm sort of within the industry and and yeah I'm I'm still learning though Neil yeah <laughs> well I think those things you never stop learning really do you I mean one of the things that I think is great and it's becoming really apparent now is that there are now a lot more women presenting sport because I remember when I was young watching tv there was never any women presenters especially sport for sure yeah you know you'd maybe get women news readers or continuity women but after that you know 
it was very male orientated and I think it's so fantastic now that there is all these women doing sports you know there's she was a footballer wasn't she yeah Alex Scott she's yeah. brilliant yeah absolutely and, brilliant you know she was presenting the Olympics which is fantastic you know yeah and it's great that that's opening up and I guess are you the only female presenter in racing at the moment or other no, others? No, no, no. So do you know what? There are a lot of female presenters in racing. You've got Hayley Moore, Francesca Kumani, Gina Pride, like all these amazing people, which actually for me is brilliant because I've got role models to look up to mm. and who are also helping me along the way. Uh, Ali Vance is a big one to help me at the start. Uh, Hayley has just been unbelievably kind and helpful to me uh Hayley Moore she is amazing she's grown up in racing her whole family is racing and when I first started working with her on Goodwood TV she would sort of say to me this is a harder interview let's prep you for it and then you go and do it you go and do the big interview I'm like, oh Hayley I'm not sure she go, no you've got to learn I said don't you want to do this interview she went no I've done interviews before you go mm. so to have that sort of kindness around you when you're brand new is unbelievable actually because that yeah. just shows a how good they are at their job because there's no threat threat not that they would ever feel threatened but you know there's nothing there to say oh we don't want her to do well it's almost yeah. like everyone's going come on come and join the group like come and join the gang and I am so appreciative of that and you know I've got other people lovely George Baker who's helping me as well with like kind of racing terms and tips and things uh, so I do feel very lucky, but I also feel like it could end at any point if I do make a proper mistake. <laughs> so I'm being really careful. Yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah. just like, smile and just keep going. <laughs> I've got to ask you, though, because I've noticed on your social media, sadly, I don't follow racing very much, so I don't really watch you that often, but Chris Hughes. Yeah, I was with him just now. <laughs> How's that come about? Because, I mean... For anyone that doesn't know, Chris Hughes is from TOWIE, right? Is that right? Uh, yeah, yeah, and he was Love Island. Love Island, that's Love it. Island, yeah. yeah. And now he's... What are you guys doing together? Because I keep seeing you with pictures of him. And, and I was a bit like, hang on, what is he doing there? He's so funny. Is he's he? So but funny. What, what's the deal there? How has he ended up in that environment? Do you know, Chris, and not many people will know this about him, but Chris grew up in racing as well. So since he right. was about 10, he's been riding racehorses and he is, he's very intelligent when it comes to racing and he knows his stuff really well. So when he came out of Love Island, instead of going down the clubbing sort of route, he went down there, right, I'm going to change this and I'm going to go down what I want to do. So he got into, into racing and he's not stupid. I can tell you that, right. You might have a preconceived idea of Love Island. Chris Hughes is not, is not yeah. thick in any way. Um, he's very clever and he's good, very, very good at what he does. So we started working together at the Derby last year. Uh, he does a show called The After Hours uh, and it's just sort of after racing. It's a really fun show. It's quite rude as well. And we did that together. And he, again, he was brilliant. He was like, listen, you come in whenever you want. You talk over me if you want to. This is our show, not my show. And I was like, this is so kind of him. And so then we've gone on, we did Blenheim Palace horse trials together. We're doing Cheltenham together this weekend. So I saw him today. Yeah, and it is, it's hilarious because I'd never seen Love Island. So when I put a picture up, I sort of knew because all my friends went, oh, I can't believe you're working with Chris because he was from Love Island. And I was going, I don't really know. Yeah. <laughs> and first I was like, I don't really care because... He's great. I see him from racing and yeah. it's great for what he does. 
but yeah no so that that's a funny one it is it is odd now I sometimes have to pinch myself when I'm surrounded by these amazing people and everyone's helping and I sort of go wow okay yeah this is yeah. this is quite something this is quite something I've got to say because I'm not a Love Island fan at all but I think he was him and his friend I think is it Kem I think they came out of Love Island quite well known didn't they and it was it was like literally everything every internet you opened every page newspaper they were there so that's how I kind of know who he is and yeah. I think I ended up having secretly had a bit of a boy crush on him for a little while but you know it's <laughs> I'll tell you that tomorrow <laughs> but yeah it was just funny seeing the two of you together I was like wow that's so interesting because I didn't know his background as you know coming from horses as well yeah yeah no, neither did I at all so uh, mm. yeah it was in, it was interesting to work with him yeah a couple of quick quick more questions you're an ambassador for the air ambulance and for well-being for women can you just tell mm. us a little bit about that yeah so for the children's air ambulance and well-being for women uh so we started raising money for them the well-being of women in the charity race one of the charity races uh, and I just loved what they did and they asked me to be an ambassador for them and then the same with children's air ambulance as well I was actually meant to swim the channel this year for the children's air ambulance but Covid decided to take over that whole idea so that will we're looking at 2023 now just to give it another year for Covid um, and You're still gonna do it? Are you mad? Yeah I know I like adrenaline things though and I like doing stuff I hate doing Sounds a bit odd, but like, I hate swimming and I hate being cold. So the channel is both of those things together. <laughs> so God, I don't know. Are... I started getting used to the cold and having cold showers, but I'm now like very much onto hot showers and hot baths. But um, mm. yeah, at some point I will definitely do that. I love, do you know, I always think in life, no matter how much or how little you have, always give back. And we, mm. you know, it really hit me in COVID actually when everything you know, we went into lockdown and I had about 50 emails the next day saying, cancel this, cancel that. And it was meant to be a huge year for me. You know, 10 years mm. of momentum was about to take off and it suddenly went dead stop. Mm -hmm. And I could have cried about it and got really upset about it. But instead I went, okay, well, you've got a roof over your head. You've got, you know, parents that can help if you need. You've got a lovely boyfriend. You've had a good education. Everything's pretty good. If it's just your career that's not so great at the moment, you really can live with that. So let's just mm. be positive and also give back to people that that also don't have. And then, you know, and then things started taking off again and that's great. But I think you've always got to appreciate in life what you do have rather than mm. what you don't. And actually not, not a lot of people know this at all because I haven't put it out, but I did a secretarial course for six months during COVID and I got a job as a secretary. So, and I... Yeah, because I thought I've got to earn some money somehow. And mm -hmm. if I've got days off, I'll go and be a secretary for that day. And I, I love yeah. the job. It's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. So no one, no one actually knows that. But it's, uh, yeah, it's an, it's an odd one. But I love doing things for charity because not to make myself feel good, but I love seeing the difference that it mm. makes. And I love seeing where the money goes. I never do anything for charity if I just, I don't like just giving money. I want to see where it goes I want to visit the mm. charity I want to be involved with the charity and you know I went to an event for well child the other day who do so much and I just wanted to stay all evening and just chat to everyone because the stories were incredible so there's something about it I think in life that 
no matter how much you can give or how little you can give, you should always give something. It might make the smallest difference, but it made a difference. And mm. I think that's really important in life to, to kind of carry with you. Mm. No, definitely. So just to wrap up, what's next for Rosie? <laughs> oh God, I don't know. I'm just trying to keep feet on the ground at the moment, little jobs at a time and, mm. and keep plugging away and hopefully yeah, I mean, the dream is to be like Claire Balding, presenting the Olympics and doing all sorts of sports, but we're just going to yeah. keep going slow to start. And yeah, but I think I can genuinely say I am the happiest I've ever been. I've sort of found my peace with life at mm. the moment and mm. everything's pretty good. And uh, yeah, I just feel very, very lucky to be doing what I'm doing, but I know that it's come from experiences that weren't happy because I feel like you have to have those. You can't really go through life with everything always good. I feel like no. you need those those moments that go, oh, okay, that didn't make me happy. So let's make, so that, yeah. that's not right. So go to the next thing. Did that make me happy? No, let's go to the next thing until you find your sort of your happy yeah. place really. And right I now agree. I'm happy. Mm. <laughs> so yeah. let's just stick with that. But I always think I think I think that's part of life, isn't it? It's like you've got yeah. to sometimes sometimes take the rough with the smooth, as they say. You know, yeah, you it's... can't have the rainbow without the rain. We're chucking quotes no. all over the place here. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I mean, when I when I look back at you know my life so far, I mean, I moved to Italy when I was in my early twenties, thinking it was all going to be amazing and I was going to be you know living this Italian dream, and it was a disaster. But you know yeah. what? It shaped me moving forward, and I I always say don't have any regrets you know Never. if you've if you've done something and it wasn't great don't regret it just see it as a big learning curve for just learn you know, from it like even, do you know what? even today I felt like I didn't do my best work and I've come back and I've gone okay but don't don't beat yourself up just do better tomorrow mm. just yeah. know what you did wrong and just do better tomorrow and I feel like that's what I'm going to try and kind of just take with me in life is okay you can't always do well like yeah. if you did well all the time it'd be really boring <laughs> you've mm. got to have some <laughs> down paths yeah do you know they say that in hairdressing there's the same which we always say to ourselves you're only as good as your last haircut so do you ever come away from one and go oh god that wasn't good <laughs> i have to say i never say it wasn't good but on the odd occasion i do go that wasn't my best <laughs> and i think <laughs> that's, that's genuinely you're dealing with someone's appearance there that's quite I scary know. I think I'm at, <laughs> I know it sounds awful, doesn't it? I feel like I'm at a point where when I do hair, I feel confident enough that I know what I'm doing. Yeah. And I never, I never walk again, I never walk away going, that was an absolute disaster. But I think there are moments when you're tired, you know, when maybe your mind's somewhere else. Let's put it this way there are ways with, probably more with hair cutting than styling, that you can cut a few corners that, the general public wouldn't notice should we say without giving too much away um and so I guess that's where the saying comes from you're only as good as your last haircut because if you're yeah. having a bit of a crap day you maybe don't do the best haircut you've ever done but that doesn't mean to say the client will notice you know what I mean no hopefully not <laughs> hopefully not anyway but I think that pushes you then to do a better one next time it's almost yeah. like a way of going don't ever see yourself as like that's the best I've ever done and it will never get any better than that you know what I mean no and you know what I always say ask for criticism and it's really scary but I did it I do it a lot and uh Ed Chamberlain 
who I'm a big fan of and he really is helping he's like my mentor and we're in a room full of people and other presenters and and up and coming people that want to be presenters and I just said Ed did you watch me on Sky and he was like yes I said right criticism please and the whole room went what why would you ask for that and I said because I can hear the good stuff that's great but if I'm, I'm not going to learn unless I have criticisms and and then he gave me and I was like brilliant perfect wrote it down try and work on it I have a black book of advice I just go through it every like just every so often I go oh yeah remember to do that remember to not do that and it just kind of helps you and I just think in life ask for criticism not you know bad horrible comments just constructive no. criticism because yeah, otherwise you're never going to learn yeah because if everyone always tells you you're brilliant you're just you're never going to improve because you're going to think you're brilliant as you are but you always yeah. need to improve like and I'm very wary of that you know early on in this career that I'm I'm not brilliant at what I do yet but mm. I know that I like there's scope for it but I just gotta mm. le- I've just gotta learn and I, yeah. I can't wait to learn yeah I always say with my career like when I feel like I've just stopped learning completely it's probably when I'll give up you know, yeah. then I'll just go, so I'm not going to do this anymore because it, I feel like I've reached the end of the road, you know. Yeah, exactly. Well, Rosie, thank you so much. Just very quickly before we finish, just some quick fire questions, which go are for just it. for fun. What's your guilty pleasure? Mayonnaise and ketchup. Ooh, together. And Bradley Walsh. Bradley Walsh. Well. <laughs> okay. Who would you like to play you in a film of your life? Oh. Oh. Oh, that's impossibly hard. Oh, like a, a young Joanna Lumley. Okay. I love her. Yeah, she's fair. Meat, veggie or vegan? Meat. Okay. Karaoke song of choice? I will survive. Gloria Gaynor. <laughs> if you could be invisible for a day, where would you go and what would you like to do? Oh, it just came to my head. I'd probably go into like the queen's bedroom or something and sit on her bed and say hi. <laughs> <laughs> I said I'd like to, well, I've had a few over the years that I've been doing my podcast, but one of them more recently was I'd like to sit in a room with the queen talking to Prince Andrew on the phone. Okay, favourite food? Chocolate. Chocolate on chocolate on chocolate. In the microwave, melt it, add chocolate. Lovely. I'm with you on that one. Favourite country you've ever visited? Do you know what? This is going to sound really boring, but Ireland, Connemara. Okay. Yeah, Ireland, shoot. Best, yeah, it was amazing. Mm. Best shoot. What do you think is your best feature or personality trait? I'm quite bubbly. I'm always bubbly, but that can also be annoying. <laughs> <laughs> What's the last item you bought? Does a sandwich count? Yeah, can be anything. Sandwich? Yeah. What chore do you hate doing? Washing up washing, tidying, moving my shoes, brushing my teeth. I know it's not a chore, but it's so boring. It's such a pointless, it's not pointless, but it's such an annoying two minutes at each event of day. <laughs> Favourite ice cream flavour? I should know mm. this having done a hagen shoot with you. But you yeah. should know this. Anything salted caramel, but it must have Mars bar melted sauce on top. What? Mars Melt bar, bar melted sauce. sauce. Nil, you have not lived. Get some Mars bars, some butter, some milk, melt them in the microwave, chuck it over ice cream, and it solidifies over it. Mm. Oh my god, you should yeah, have told that's me that. My tip for the day. Oh my god, that's <laughs> that's my Christmas ruined. Well, Rosie, thank you so much. That's been amazing, and I hope what I'm hoping is is that your story gives a lot of people an understanding 
of our industry from a different side, but in a way where also, I think like we were saying earlier, life is about choices and you can make those choices. You don't have to do things that you don't want to do. And if you don't make those choices, then things won't change. You know, you know, for me, that was one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you, because I think people always look at the fashion industry from like, oh, it's glamorous. It's this, it's that, it's whatever. And like you said earlier, it's not like you're being negative about the industry, but it was just an industry that didn't really work for you in per- yeah. per- personally. You know personally, what I mean? Because it works for so many others. It just didn't suit me. No. And, and, and that was fine. And I, and I think that's fine. I think that's the thing. It's like knowing that, that that's OK. You know what I yeah. mean? So thank you for sharing. It's been thank wonderful you, to talk to you. Hopefully I'll see you in person soon. But um, yeah, crossed. thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Neil. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode. And remember to go and subscribe for more episodes coming soon. To follow Rosie and her career, you can go to her Instagram, where her account is at Rosie Tapner. And I also recorded a special mental health episode with Rosie and Tom Chapman, the founder of the Lions Barber Collective, which is available on my podcast right now. And it's also available to watch on YouTube.